The NHRA Virginia Nationals are next up on the samtech.edu factory stock showdown schedule. And Factory Stock Podcast is back with more great guests. NHRA Vice President of Competition Ned Walliser joins the show for a top-to-bottom factory stock interview. The samtech.edu NHRA factory stock category is an amazing category. But it's amazing because it kind of brings back the yesteryear approach of some categories that we've had in the past. It brings the manufacturers back into the sport in a way that they can race on Sunday, win on Sunday, sell on Monday mentality. And that's really what the category has has, has been developed for. And the the interest level from the manufacturers has been intense. They they absolutely love it. But that said, sometimes sometimes our performance levels get a little out of control to the point that the cost just elevates so high. So we need to really be careful that, that this category does not get uh, out of control cost-wise as well as safety-wise. Walliser addresses new rules, parity rules, engine modifications, and possibly a 32-car field at Indy. Also on the show, Cobra Jet driver Kevin Skinner. Skinner is making a move in the points, and Skinner's car has a name. Where did he come up with it? Myself and my dad and Chris Holbrook and uh, his Chris's crew chief Dan were all joking around, sitting around what they were going to call their uh, what they would call their car, and I just said I'm going to call mine the Black Hammer because it just does work. So then it was, uh, it, I just kept saying it, and it kind of, I don't know, it's kind of a joke evolving around in the. I was going around the races and stuff saying, well, the Black Hammer's getting ready to come out, so guys be ready. More from Kevin Skinner just minutes away. Also on the show, Copo Camaro racer Scott Libisher, who has a fleet of cars at each factory stock showdown race. Starting the 2019 season has been a challenge, but Libisher says the team is starting to turn the corner. Scott Libisher. In Charlotte, we just started, you know, making the turn and starting to work on our tune and some other stuff on these cars, and we're pretty confident we're going to have a good outing in Richmond. It looks better than it has earlier in the year, so we finally turn the corner. Those guests and Brian Massengill from Samtech.edu will get us ready for race three of the Samtech.edu factory stock showdown season. Richmond, Virginia, the NHRA Virginia Nationals, the big cars, the heavy cars, the real cars, the blown cars, battling it out at over 175 miles per hour. Subscribe to Factory Stock Podcast so you never miss a show. Brian Massengill, Ned Walliser, Scott Libisher, and Kevin Skinner all coming up on this edition of Factory Stock Podcast. And I am your host, Joe Costello. Start your education at full speed with the School of Automotive Machinists and Technology. 
Accelerate your career as a high-performance engine builder with classroom instruction and practical hands-on experience in the lab, on the dyno, and at the track. In addition to blockhead and CNC programs, Samtech now offers motorsport EFI tuning, you know, just like they're doing in the factory stock showdown, and also an associate of applied science degree. And Sam is a military-friendly school, approved to train veterans and other eligible persons under the GI Bill. Start your education at full speed. Go to samtech.edu today. Since our last Factory Stock podcast, there have been additional rules changes. We will talk about those with all of our guests. But to update you, coming down from the NHRA Tech Department, the 2019 Copo 350 combination has been reduced by 5.4% in terms of blower overdrive from 142.9% to 137.5%. Additionally, the supercharger overdrive for the 2019 Cobra Jet 327 combination has been reduced by 15.3% from 128.6 to 113.3%. The upper supercharger pulley on the Copos has gone from 3.500 to 3.580. And on the Cobra Jet, it has increased from 3.500 to 3.750. Those are the updates. The point standings are as follows. Drew Skillman leads the points 181 over Bill Skillman's 176. So it is an all-Skillman show at the top of the standings. Followed by Stephen Bell, the first Camaro, third, 127. Carl Tasca, fourth, 112. Chris Holbrook, fifth, 109. Followed by Bo Butner, Kevin Skinner, one of this week's guests. Randy Rampage-Taylor, David Barton, and Scott Libisher rounding out the top 10. Let's dive into it with our guests. Joining us now on this edition of Factory Stock Podcast, he is the Vice President of Competition for the National Hot Rod Association. We are very honored to have him on to talk Factory Stock. Ned Walliser joins us now. Ned, welcome to Factory Stock Podcast. How are you? Thanks, Joe. Doing very well. Thanks for having us. No, thank you for coming on this uh, podcast, which, of course, is new. The class is relatively new, but so many things uh, have really exploded with the class, the interest, the competitors, fan interest. And so for you to come on this podcast to give us some insight into some things that have happened and will happen uh, is greatly appreciated. You know, fans are dying to get information, and uh, you coming on uh, is going to be very, very helpful. Of course, the Virginia Nationals uh, coming up very rapidly. We are very excited. We're a couple of races in. Some things have happened, but... Before we get to that, I want to I want to ask, you know, your opinion, your thoughts on on how we got to where we are in terms of this factory stock category evolving from a combination of supercharged and naturally aspirated to only the supercharged cars and how this evolution it seems to be happening happening very quickly. From the NHRA perspective, you know, how did we get here and and what is the the idea and concept behind this class? Well, Joe, you, you said it. I mean, the evolution of this category has gone kind of crazy here in the past 24 months, if not 36 months. But uh, the Samtech.edu NHRA factory stock category is an amazing category. But it's amazing because it kind of brings back the yesteryear approach of some categories that we've had in the past. It brings the manufacturers back into the sport in a way that they can race on Sunday, win on Sunday, sell on Monday mentality. And that's really what the category has, has, has been developed for. And the, 
the interest level from the manufacturers has been intense. They, they absolutely love it. But that said, sometimes, sometimes our performance levels get a little out of control to the point that the cost just elevates so high. So we need to really be careful that, that this category does not get uh, out of control cost-wise as well as safety-wise. It has to stay within the safety ranks that uh, the chassis specification, so to speak, uh, are set. And when you're selling something on Monday that you win with on Sunday, those cars need to resemble themselves. So we don't want to get into a tube chassis type car. We want it to be a manufacturer's car. And all the manufacturers are all in on this, uh, on this category, and so are we. Which is excellent. And for the uh, listeners out there, um, just so they understand, like the tech spec for these chassis, as they are, is 7.50 seconds, correct? And so, like, when we're thinking about safety and how much they weigh and how fast they're going, there's a, a formula that you guys use to determine, like, you know, what is the right number. And so the spec is 7.50 seconds, correct? The spec is 7.50, but when you think about a car that weighs in the 3,500-pound range on a 9-inch on a tire, and trying to move it down a quarter mile racetrack at the speeds they're running, you know, close to the 180 uh, mark, it, it it's just incredible. So we need to make sure we have safety at the utmost importance on our on on the forefront of our minds. Absolutely, and I, I think every fan would uh, agree with that. And there, you know, the debate, like the hashing out, the making of sausage when something is is brand new, uh, it isn't always uh, pretty. And we've seen these things, you know, go really quick and fast. I want to get to those rules changes, but I also want to ask you uh, primarily, you know, long term, samtech.edu factory stock showdown. Uh, this is so new, and so it could go in many different directions. You know the racers, Ned. They are crazy people, and I say that as a great compliment to them and their creativity and their drive and determination to go out and win and overcome the obstacles that uh, physics present in front of them. They will conquer those obstacles. So what is the long-term vision for this factory stock class? Well, we definitely want to continue to grow it. We want the evolution for the manufacturers to develop cars on an annual basis that that model themselves into this category. They you know they can be a car that that can look like a street car. Some of these cars are being sold that that are not really uh, to be utilized on the street but they're utilized at the racetrack but yet there's like models. They they appear to be the same. It may just have a couple different parts on the engine. Uh, we want to continue that for the manufacturers, but the racing side of it it's exciting. I mean, you're talking about a heavy car. You're talking about a nine-inch tire. You're talking about the the driver has has total control of this car. It's not electronic. So this is a great category we want to develop and continue to develop. And we hope, you know, as you said earlier, the racers can take it to a level uh, that that is unbelievable. Uh, racers have a way of 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 taking things that are that are from the novice side to a very professional level in a very fast time period. So we just need to be careful. We need to make sure that we, we have the racers in mind, the expense level in mind, and the safety level is the utmost importance. So let's talk a little bit about some of the rules changes. We knew and we were told at the start of the season that the uh, you know the rules makers, and in this case that's you guys uh, at the National Hot Rod Association, would be very quick to rein in any 
combination, whatever it may be, that jumped way out ahead of the others in a way of, number one, keeping it uh, safe, and number two, keeping it entertaining. Because the fans need to know, uh, we saw in Pro Stock, like what happens when it becomes a one manufacturer show, people lose interest. And so we don't want that to happen. That having been said, the fans of the Cobra Jets are very upset right now because they, they say that they, you know, they worked harder and they came up with better results. And so uh, they deserve to have this uh, lead. You've pulled them back a little bit. Fans of the Camaros, I think they would imagine uh, they'd probably be very annoyed at the Cobra Jet fans because they have also been... Uh, backed up a little bit by the rules, and they haven't won anything. And then, of course, there are the Dodges. So uh, give me a little insight into how and why the rules changes came and continue to come so rapidly. So we sat down with the manufacturers. It started as early as uh, June of 2018, and we kind of set a performance standard for these these kind of cars. Um, and the per- performance standard was based on what the drivers were telling us, they, they didn't feel comfortable going too quick in these cars. Like I said, they're, they're 3,500 pounds plus and they're nine inch tire. And you're, you're dealing with on a racetrack. Sometimes that is, is, uh, due to cool conditions, hot conditions. It could get a little greasy out there in the high temperatures and the drivers just wanted to remain safe. That said, the manufacturers and NHRA sat down, we met and, we thought it would be in the best interest of this category to be in the 80 range 790s, meaning the high 790s, not 790, but in the high 790s in mine shaft conditions, if you will. That said, when the manufacturers are uh, dealing with their pencils and their engineers and, and drafting out a program for the, the, the following year, they just need to keep that in mind. And, it gave them a goal to shoot for. So we established that as our goal for the category. So we need to have parity for all the manufacturers involved. If we don't have parity, then the manufacturers are going to lose interest. So in the interest of parity for the category, we needed to reel in what we felt were performance advantages or uh, performances that were sub the numbers we were looking for. Interesting. No, I, and I uh, understand. I, I want to uh, mention that 80790 thing and just get your take on it. I, I, I've i been around bracket racing my whole life. I've been around drag racing my whole life, and I, I know you have as well. And there just is a thing with the 7.9 uh, barrier where you could talk to a, a fan, you could talk to someone and say, hey, 798, they'd be like, man, that's fast. And you say 801, and they'd be like, ah, it's slow. Uh, and a lot of racers have come on this show and said, man, they really feel like being in the sevens is very important to the character of the class. Well, I think we feel that being able to run in the sevens is important. It's, it's not the utmost importance, but it is important. There is a sense of entertainment value for the spectator. There's a sense of performance value for the racer. There's a sense of pride for the manufacturer. So we get it, but we don't want to even come close to that 750 chassis mark. That's not the goal. The, the goal is uh, 80s, 790s in mineshaft conditions. That said, with the combinations we put out on the racetrack, it's not that uh, the category can't be exciting at that. It's just that's the performance level the drivers feel safe, and we feel comfortable with the rules package. 
Interesting. Okay, so then in terms of like the the Fords this year, and uh, from what I understand to be true, which is not necessarily always the truth, uh, Ford and Chevy proposed new combinations. We saw the Fords get a little more cubic inches, a new supercharger. We saw the Chevrolets get a new supercharger, which uh, people have told us on the show that it wasn't just more powerful. It was like way more powerful, and they loved it. My gosh, we're making more power, whereas the Dodges did not submit anything. They just kind of stood on what they had. Is that an accurate portrayal of the way the offseason went? Well, on an annual basis, each manufacturer has the right to submit for an improved model or an updated model, if you will. Not necessarily always improved, but it could be a different combination. Uh, With that regard, you explained it well, what what Ford, Chevy, and Dodge uh, did for 2019. 2020 could be a whole different deal. Uh, You know, uh, different manufacturers may be submitting. So we don't know that as of yet. We just put out a new... Uh, parts components submission form for uh, updated parts, and they'll need to uh, tell us by by July one uh, whether uh, whether or not they plan uh, to make a change, and then we'll see the development over sixty day increments uh, that they can submit uh, in writing and within design. And so for people that are listening out there, um, getting ready for the Virginia Nationals, just so that they understand, there has been another rules change, uh, modification, or, or how do you, uh, what is the correct uh, phraseology, so to speak, of uh, these updated rules that are coming down, uh, the most recent coming down after Bill Skillman's victory uh, out there in Charlotte? We refer to them as a performance parity change. Okay, uh, so there was a performance parity change, which basically took a little more overdrive away from the Mustangs, a little more overdrive away from the Camaros. And th- these changes, more for hitting that target of 790.80 or more for parity or equivalently for both? like to say equivalently for both, but it's, it's more important that the parity amongst the manufacturers than it is the 8.0. The 80 is not the most important. It was just a goal. It was a target, if you will. But parity amongst the three is of the utmost importance. Otherwise, the manufacturers will not want to participate. Excellent. Excellent. So uh, it sounds like this is like just like any other sport where you've got teams in Major League Baseball that are going all out trying to win, spending you know hundreds of millions of dollars. And then you've got other teams that are, you know, they want to win and they're trying hard to win, but maybe they're not you know, going gangbusters crazy. And you guys, as the rules makers, you, you must manage that and that is challenging correct in every sport you have the haves and the have-nots and we want to minimize the the difference between the two because uh it really shouldn't be the haves and the have-nots it should be all participants together and they all have an opportunity to perform the same and the opportunity to win each and every day well and and that is great and i i think uh Fans appreciate that. So I would say then the the fact is that we're at the beginning of this, so the rules changes are going to be a little more severe right at the beginning. And as you get closer and the cars get closer and the competition gets closer, you will have to make fewer changes. Would you agree with that? Would agree with that. Here comes the tough part of this this category. We say parity. We come out with new combinations each year. We don't have a testing ground, per se. We don't have a performance equalizer before we get to our first event. So as with a lot of different racing categories, 
all the cards may not be on the table before we get to the first race. And what I mean by that is a racer might not have shown his full hand. They may be making runs in test uh, before in preseason that are not a full quarter mile, not to the full potential of the engine combination. So therefore, we're kind of throwing a dart in the dark, if you will. It comes out, the proof comes out in, in the pudding when, when they come race at, at the first event because they all want to go as quick as they can, and, and then we can start aligning the parity. We would like that to change a little bit and have some type of a performance equalizer before we get to the first event, and then the changes would be far less within the season. But as we go, more cards appear on the table. As more cards appear on the table, performances change, and you have uh, you have situations where one manufacturer may be ahead of the other, and we need to reel that in for parity-wise for the three categories for the reasons I stated earlier. Right. And I, I can imagine there's someone listening that says, well, though, and uh, I don't necessarily agree because we have seen this in every other form of motorsport, and this is what causes a class to become a million-dollar category is that if you allow people to just develop endlessly, they will. And it will cost a lot of money, and those people who were in the class at the beginning will all of a sudden not be able to do it, and you'll have a very narrow uh, list of competitors. What would you say to those fans out there, though, who like uh, you know want and desire uh, that open competition of like, hey, man, we outwork to these guys? And that seems to be what I'm seeing from a lot of the Ford fans on Facebook right now, which is the way I kind of spy on what's going on. Is like, look at the threads on Facebook. Uh, Ford fans are complaining saying that, you know, we outworked the other competitors and now our work is being taken away from us. You know, how, do you, uh, how do you resolve that? I don't necessarily believe that. And let me go back and address one of your statements just a few minutes ago. That is, uh, you know, where, where, where people are all, you know, running the same combinations, the same uh, parts and components, and it, it becomes a little more boring. But that's not the case in this category. This category is far from that we are talking three very distinct different engine platforms not even remotely close to one another so to get them within parity that that's a challenge uh that said man there is plenty of room to grow in each one of those platforms for each manufacturer to develop so this is not a stale spec type racing where everybody runs the same part there's no development whatsoever, and it's up to the driver. Yeah, the driver's got a lot to do with it, but let me tell you, the manufacturers have plenty of room to develop and work within their engine platforms because each one is very unique. Nothing spec about this category. Well, that is interesting. A valve train, for instance, very different across manufacturers. Um, that brings up a question uh, that uh, has been discussed on the show. Let me just hit you with it in terms of um, like something like, O-ringing a block. You know, the Chevrolet's got this head gasket problem with all the boost, et cetera, and so on. I've had a couple of manufacturers mention to me, like, hey, O-ringing a block is something that happens with bracket racing engines, happens just, you know, as a, uh, it's an extra process in the machining, I know you know. But some have asked, like, hey, why not do something like that if safety is an issue? We want to keep all the, uh, you know, the charge inside these cylinders. Is that something we can do? Who makes that decision? Is that NHRA? Is that Chevrolet that they choose or not choose to do it? I know they're working on fixing these problems. But that's like a micro uh, uh, look into, like, engine rules and how they are decided upon. Can you give me a, a little window into that? 
Yeah, the NHRA will continuously work with the manufacturers on situations that arise. I don't necessarily believe that this is a an, an issue for uh, any of the manufacturers. Uh, I think it is a performance issue. It is potentially the way an engine builder uh, runs their program, how they run their ignition, their timing, how they run their 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 boost, how they run all different things that that come into play. Uh, can contribute to that. So when you talk about O-ringing the block, it could be perceived as a safety item. I don't necessarily look at it that way. I think we look at it as it could be a performance advantage. When you O-ring the block, how much more can we put in the combustion chamber before it lets go? So it's not a goal of how much more we can put. We have categories for more. You can run other categories within NHRA and and, and get more performance. This category, however, is based on stock eliminator. Stock eliminator is a stock component. O-ring in the block simply uh, negates that part of stock, and that's not in the best interest of the category. Understood. Understood. And I appreciate the way you put that out there. Okay, so considering the fact that I think most of our listeners are, number one, involved in the category, number two, friends and family of the people involved in the category, and three, fans of the category who are on the web seeking out more information because they are so excited about what they have seen on the track, uh, what would you say to that group of people about where we are and where we're going to, you know, obviously you want to keep them involved? Well, let's just talk about the car manufacturers for a little bit. Uh, you know, 20 years ago, would you have thought we would have been doing this again today, bringing back the muscle cars of, of Detroit? And it, it's just an awesome category to be involved in. I, I think um, we've, got a, we've got a bright future as long as the manufacturers continue to manufacture cars like this. We would like that to continue, obviously. We would like their involvement. We love their participation. And... Quite frankly, we feel we've got a great relationship with them in the development of categories like this. So we hope that continues. That is excellent. That is excellent. Okay, Ned, I really appreciate you doing this. And uh, you have answered pretty much every question I have thrown at you. But I'm going to give you the opportunity to make a little news now um, because, you know, we are so excited about how many cars there have been on the entry list for each of the early races. I can't imagine how many people are going to try to enter the Chevrolet Performance U.S. Nationals this year. And I will tell you that we have bantered about on this podcast and certainly in the pits, how cool would it be to announce a 32-car field at Indy? Is that something you guys have thought about, considered, are considering? And if you would like, you could just announce it right here on Factory Stock Podcast. <laughs> nice try, Joe. We certainly are not going to make that announcement today, but we'll entertain that thought process. It's a lot like like in your retail stores. It's about space and place. You only have so much shelf space and so much uh, place to put items. It's the same way at NHRA. There's only so many minutes in a day on the racetrack that we can run. So to get to a 32-car field doesn't sound all that difficult, but now you're going to have more cars in qualifying. It takes more time. And you add an additional round of eliminations. If you don't eliminate a qualifying session, then we have a complete additional round that we need to put into the schedule. So I'm not trying to be doom and gloom. By no means. We have considered it. We have talked about it. We will continue to talk about it. It may be a possibility in the future. But uh, would love to hear uh, people's interest in that. And hopefully they can do that through your podcast and 
Joe, you let us know what the people are saying. Uh, well, I will, and uh, I do, and I appreciate you, uh, you know, giving the people the opportunity to to uh, tell me that, and I'll definitely put it in your ear. And on on that note, Ned, I think that is a great subject to just mention to the listeners out there that they may not consider, and it is not necessarily based in factory stock as it is uh, real estate and space. People maybe don't think that when you know they go to their local national event that the participation at that event is limited by time and space, as we've seen, like hospitality areas get bigger and trailers get longer and the RVs that are pulling them get longer. The amount of real estate at each facility is used up and they're almost all packed to the rafters. And so when it comes to adding another class or category or otherwise, that seems to be the limiting factor. And that's not about factory stock. That's about drag racing in general. Yeah, it, it's incredible to me to see uh, the rigs that come in. And, yeah, that's a whole spectacle in itself. If the spectators are just watching the rigs come into an event. But uh, you're right. I mean, space and place for parking, space and place for schedule on the racetrack, it all has to be taken in consideration before decisions like that can be changed. Ned, thank you so much for coming on Factory Stock Podcast, giving us a little insight into the class, the vision from the National Hot Rod Association's perspective prior to the Virginia Nationals. The good news is you've got a hit here. This is a hit, and uh, people love it. The connection to the factory cars when driving home from these events, I've experienced it. After watching a couple of days of seeing these cars go down the racetrack, then I see a Mustang coming at me, and I get a a, a flashback to the racing. And that's, uh, that's, I think, what everybody wants to see. I know there are people buying these cars, maybe the six-cylinder version, because they love the look and they love what they just saw on the track. So you guys have got a hit on your hands, and we are happy to cover it and follow it. Thank you for coming on Factory Stock Podcast to give us a little insight. Thanks for having me. Really want uh, this category to be there for the spectators so they can see their car being raced on the racetrack or a similar car to it. want to thank all the manufacturers for being a big part of this, and especially samtech.edu for sponsoring NHRA Factory Stock Showdown. I agree. I agree. And uh, they have done a great job, and I'll be sure to tell Brian uh, coming up in a few minutes. Ned, thank you so much. Thanks, Joe. Take care. Thank you, Ned. Ned Walliser, Vice President of Competition at the National Hot Rod Association, with us here on Factory Stock Podcast. Many questions, many answers. I really appreciate Ned coming on our Factory Stock Podcast and giving us the lowdown. I know many of you are competitors in the Eliminator, who hopefully your questions have been answered, at very least the logic behind the things that are going down as they try to uh, equalize the category, create parity and entertainment for those of us who like to watch. We want to see this thing grow and continue and everybody be included and feel comfortable about being involved And it sounds like they have a program. Now, we have got some great guests coming up later on in the show, Scott Libisher and Brian Massengill. But right now, next up on Factory Stock Podcast, we're going to get to know one of the competitors who is doing a great job out there and has been involved with the program since nearly the beginning. Joining us now, he drives a Cobra Jet, Kevin Skinner. Kevin, welcome to Factory Stock Podcast. How are you? Pretty good, Joe. Doing well. How about yourself? Glad to be on the show. I am great. I am excited for the Virginia Nationals. The schedule is really nice in that it gives you a nice little break in between each race to go back and take care of business. Are you ready for the Virginia Nationals? Yeah, I believe so. We went down to the NMCA race in Memphis and changed around some 
gearing and torque converter stuff that's always kind of a secret to these cars to get them to run well so i think i think we're heading in the right direction with it so it should should be ready now how did you end up doing down there uh got to the semifinals and had to race jeff turk who eventually won the race and it was close race uh decided by a hundredth of a second well, there you go. Turk with the X-15. I know he was very fired up about that, and it's going to be a real threat for the remainder of the year. Kevin, I want to talk about the car. I want to talk about your thoughts in the class and why you're participating. But most importantly, I want people to get to know you. The whole point of this podcast is for fans of Factory Stock to have a direct channel to the personalities that are competing. And so, from what I understand, you just turned 29 years old, uh, but started out just as a fan of, of cars and doing some car shows, tell me a little bit about how you got to this point where you're competing at the highest level of uh, stock eliminator in the samtech.edu factory stock showdown. What started it for you? Yeah, uh, just starting out as a kid, dad always drug us down around to the car shows and stuff. So then we did that and then got to the time where I'd start driving and car shows. I mean, it's, if you go to them, it's usually a bunch of guys sitting around. That's not the most fun when you're 16 and ready to go. So then we started racing. I actually got my license. And then that very next Wednesday, we were out at uh, National Trail Raceway, the track here in Columbus racing, and just kind of led on to that. Started racing bracket cars and got them to go faster and ended up with a Nova that ran in the 920s, 19s area. And then uh looking to run some national event stuff and all that and didn't really want to run super street or super gas with the uh, nova we had so then was looking into the cobra jet program just kind of started around there and uh looked into that and we were looking into stock and super stock that was always my dad's favorite classes growing up when he was a kid stock super stock pro stock all that style stuff so uh, the Cobra Jet programs were out. We were looking to buy, a, like, a class car. Well, if you looked at then a 69 Camaro or, like, an A-stock automatic, relatively fast car, they are about 70 80 for a nice one. So then the Cobra Jets were priced along right in there at that time. So bought a car and started going to it. And then uh, it just kind of led one thing into another. We got together with Chris Holbrook to do engines for the car and stuff, and it there was a fast class car or whatever at the time. It was double A stock automatic and triple A stock automatic. So they came out with the factory stock showdown and thought it'd be pretty cool. So we kind of jumped into that 2013-2014 and just kept rolling with it. Very cool. First of all, your uh, your arc is very similar to mine. I you know I ended up bracket racing, but as a 16 year old kid. Car shows can be boring. No offense to the car show types out there, but it is a lot of people just st- sitting by cars that are not running, talking about them. Uh, and when you compare that to drag racing or bracket racing or actually using the cars in the wild for what they were intended, uh, there is no comparison. So I salute you on your transition to drag racing. <laughs> yeah, thank you. It's a. Uh... It's, it definitely has its place for sure. Like I, I definitely enjoyed it when I was younger to go around and learn about all the different engines and stuff. And my dad tell me about all the different parts and what makes what work and stuff. But sometimes you just, you just want to go, you know, you just want to start rolling. Exactly. And you have been rolling ever since. Uh, what 
I take out of that story is that the Cobra Jet program, whoever decided like, hey, we're going to do this again. We're going to build these again. We're going to go out and try to sell cars to people who want to race and play with them as opposed to just go to school or go to the grocery store or go cruise the beach. Uh, They had a good idea. And there were people like you out there who were ready to take them up on the offer. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it was definitely uh, forward-looking, and plus, I mean, you you can look at a car all you want, and there's people that argue it's artwork and all that, which is true for, like, they have the Riddler Award and all that stuff, but it's an exciting thing. You want to go fast. You want to do whatever with it. You want to, you know, they don't, they make movies of the General Lee jumping through the air, not them looking at it, so it's just kind of like that whole deal with it. No, I love your analogy, and I totally agree. Uh, the you know the General Lee, the Bandit, like cars are to be used, <laughs> not sit there. They're uh, supposed to be dynamic uh, pieces of artwork. I do agree with that, though. So let's talk about getting into Samtech Factory Stock Showdown now, and where the class is. If memory serves me correctly, and this is just right off the top of my head, like you've had a fast car, um, if not the whole time, near the whole time, and you've been there as the category has evolved from a combination of naturally aspirated and supercharged now all supercharged and even last year factoring into the championship late in the running if I, re- I recall it was a very close race between you and Archie Cohn that ended his championship hopes and uh, you were running very well at the end of last year correct me if I'm wrong there but starting off 2019 in a similar situation with a quick and fast car um, that is uh, able to go rounds yeah, we just we just really always chipped away at it. It's it's kind of like the thing you're not gonna get to the front like all at once. I mean, some people can. I don't know how they do it, but it's just always slow improvements. Always working on stuff. Always trying to pick up wherever you can. Looking at your strengths, your weaknesses. What can you make better? What can you live with? Yeah, it's just a evolution of the whole deal. So we always just try to pick away with what we can and run as fast as we think we can make the car go at that given time and hope it works out. Now, Holbrook Power, obviously a benchmark for the class. People with Holbrook Power uh, run very well. Chris is really strong. There are a couple of real big-time engine builders that are doing very well. How did you get hooked up with them? And uh, it's got to be great to roll to the starting line knowing you got a lot of muscle. Yeah, actually, once uh, we actually got started out with Chris, we actually pitched next to him once we bought one of the first cars, uh, it was a 5.4, and the 302 just came out just that same year. So we pitted next to him at the uh, Cobra Jet show, show, shootout, I guess, with the thing up, and they added up in Milan. We pitted next to him and just walked over and said, hey, the 302s are kind of coming. What It's going to run the same weight break for, as the 5.4. What can we do? This car's pretty much stock, and he's just been – doing our engines ever since and never really had any trouble out of them so just keep on doing what you're doing does yeah. a great job for us no complaints there at all no absolutely and uh, we just heard from ned walliser on the show we talked a little bit about the rules uh makers and how they have been very aggressive and the reasoning for it to maintain and achieve and keep parity in the class um, the Camaros and the Cobra Jets have been hit a couple of times, reducing uh, supercharger overdrive. Uh, you know, what are your thoughts? Uh, you know, obviously, I've spoken with Bill and Drew Skillman. They're disappointed in that they feel like they had the field covered and that the rules makers jumped in a little too soon. 
What say you in terms of the class and, and where things are at being as, you know, you have yet to win a race yet this year, but you have got that same combination. Right. I, I, it's hard to say and, and like put the past of the class behind it is like, I don't, nobody likes being slowed down, especially two big hits as far as they are, but for what they're trying to achieve with the class and move forward, it's definitely a good thing, you know? So, uh, yeah, to keep the class around the 790, I'd like to see like half the field, maybe bump into the sevens, half the eight O's or like a pretty decent split. Cause it's like, it's the whole thing of when you, when you play golf, Stephen Bell came up with this analogy. He said, when you play golf, if you shoot at 80, it's like, Oh, that's okay. But when you shoot a 79, it sounds like 10 strokes better. It's way, it sounds, like you played way better, but it's only one stroke. I mean, it's only one, one tenth, but still it's, uh, the cars definitely, I think probably need to be capped and parity and all that uh, amongst the brands. Nobody wants to see just go out and dominate all of it. But, uh, it's definitely like the weight thing is kind of getting too concerned also, which we're right at the chassis limit with 35, 75, and then 3,600, you can't go faster than 750. So it's kind of all a balancing act of where uh, you need to keep the car. So I think long-term, it's definitely a good move. It's just, uh, it's it's not fun to see you, your combination got hit and then you're being slowed down and everything else because nobody really wants to go slower. But still for, I think looking forward, you probably got to look out what they're trying to do. It's probably, it's it's for the best for the class for sure. I love the Stephen Bell analogy. You know, he's a very wise individual, and I've been saying the same thing. You as a bracket racer in the past, you know that there's a giant difference between 800 and 799.9, just like you keep one of those ET slips and the other one you don't really care if you keep it or not. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. It's like if you, if you go out and tell somebody, like, hey, I run in the eights, well, like, it could be 890. It could be, you know, 880. It's like that's not it's almost a whole second difference but still it's in the eight you go out and say hey i run in the sevens it's like whoa you know like what are you doing that thing is flying so it's definitely it's definitely a psychological thing that is great that is great no it's so true and for the casual fan out there they may not understand it but for anybody who has worked hard and invested in a race car to go race they understand it and, uh, you know, it sounds like the NHRA understands it as well, that those seven-second ET slips are uh, something to be, you know, a source of pride at the very least. Right, for sure. So let's talk about the race this weekend. Uh, you mentioned you've done some torque converter development and some different things to try to get the car quicker and faster. When you put yourself up against the competition, you know, we haven't even seen... Uh, everybody at their best just yet. For instance, Bo Butner, DNQ first race, and then second time out is able to go out there and uh, make it to the uh, final round, coming up short in an excellent race. So people are still working on their programs. Um, do you feel like this uh, recent session has been able to move you forward, and have you done any testing with the the newest uh, rules update? Were you running in that configuration this past week? Yeah, I think we, we picked up... Uh a decent amount on the, on the starting line. We are kind of having troubles with that, with how the power comes in and what it would do to the car and kind of shaking around and, 
you know, happen and then off the starting line. So we definitely got that figured out. So then now it's our next uh, looking forward is to move down the track and mess with air fuel ratios and uh, fuel curves and stuff on down, try to get that figured out and get the back half as sorted out as best we could. But no, we have not. That was still with the three and a half inch pulley. We have not ran the new updated one yet. So the first time it'll be on the car making a run will be uh, qualifying one at Richmond. Well, there you go. Now, who handles all your uh, computer, uh, you know, EFI adjustments, mapping and all of that? Is that your deal? What do you do in addition to driving? Uh, we use uh, PTP Racing, which is Patrick Barnhill and Jason Lee. They help us get it going straightened out for the year but for like as much as get through the race like changing the timing curve or the fuel maps and timing maps on down the track i handle that uh most of myself to get it through i i can get us through a race if you if you want to start up a brand new engine and all that stuff we're we're definitely calling them guys to help us out but see i think that's great in that people who are interested in the class uh, you don't have to be, and I'm just going to throw a name out there, you know, you don't have to be Jason Line or Chris Holbrook to be out there competing. You guys are a family race team that bought, you invested in the car and the engine, you have people who assist you with getting things to the point where then you take over when you're in competition. I think that's what people, uh, they want to hear about this category, that it is accessible. Oh, yeah, for sure. There's definitely, I mean, if we we probably wouldn't be able to do it if, if we didn't do it the way we did it. Like we, we, we had the car built and then Bob got an engine from Chris, you know, nobody can do everything. So it's definitely accessible the way you do it. It's, it's my dad and I uh, change the engines out, you know, when we need to and do all the maintenance work and we do as much as we can, even, even like with the car that we built, our, our body shop painted it. So, we're definitely trying to do as much as we can within reason and get it get it happening. But, yeah, there's definitely people out there that will help you along or you can have their services come out and do what they need to do to get you going in this class. Now, um, I did a little research. Do you have a nickname? <laughs> I don't have a nickname. The car has a nickname. We call it the Black Hammer. The Black Hammer. It, it all, I, where does that come from? I like know, it. Well, it all just came, it, it just kind of came about from like the mechanic world and all that. You, you just usually, semi-trucks and stuff, there's usually a hammer laying around the garage, a quite large one. It actually, it kind of started out, remember a couple of years ago, PDRA was giving you, uh, giving people extra points if they actually named their car. So then, uh Myself and my dad and Chris Holbrook and uh, his Chris's crew chief Dan were all joking around, sitting around what they were gonna call their uh, what they would call their car. And I just said, I'm gonna call mine the Black Hammer because it just does work. So then it was, uh, it, I just kept saying it, and it kind of, I don't know, it's kind of a joke evolving around in the as going around the races and stuff, saying, well, the Black Hammer's getting ready to come out, so guys, be ready. 
I love that. And is it on the car anywhere? Because I, you know, I feel like I've seen the car, but I haven't noticed that. I love names on cars, just so you understand where I'm coming from. And when PDRA had that deal where they tried to encourage people to name their cars, that was a very smart move because everybody talks about the days when cars had names and had personas. A black hammer, man. That sounds cool. Is it on the car? And you know I'm using it this weekend. Here we go. <laughs> All right. Yeah, no, it's not actually. I- Probably should put it on somewhere. I'll probably put it in gold or something. I don't know. But, uh, no, it should be. And it, it makes it fun. Like, uh, Joe Welch calls his the vigilante, and Leah calls her car El Bandito and stuff. It's just, and then Chris actually has his on his instant action, dates back to his dad's car. And it's just, I don't know. It's just a cool thing that the, the I, I guess, going back to maybe the Wally Parks deal, that the car's the stars, but, you know, it just gives it maybe an identity. Attention all factory stock racers listening right now to Kevin on Factory Stock Podcast. Uh, just from my perspective as the host of the podcast and an NHRA announcer who will be announcing your categories, please put the name of your car somewhere where we can see it and the fans can see it because I think that is so cool, Kevin. Uh, you just rattled off a couple. I know El Bandito, of course, has has made it to the uh, to the public, but uh, yours now and, and Joe's and others will, uh, will make it to the public. Obviously, we need to know. I think all of those are very, very cool, and I think you need to do it before the weekend. Is that possible? Do you know like a vinyl guy? Uh, yeah, we actually have a vinyl machine that we make uh, unit numbers for the trucks here when they get in a wreck and stuff. So I might be able to come up with something here in the next couple of days. I don't want to make extra work for you now, Kevin, but I think it would be significant and important for the fans out there. The Black Hammer. It's a cool name. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's uh, it's definitely different. It stands out, I guess. It really does. It really does. Well, Kevin, good luck this weekend. Uh, thank you for coming on Factory Stock Podcast and giving us a little insight into your, your background and your current and your future. Uh, hopefully we see you in the winter circle at some point. I do also appreciate you going into into the rules and, and giving your uh, perspective that uh, you think it's a good thing. I know it's a great challenge for the folks at the National Hot Rod Association to govern these cars. Uh, we want to see close racing. We want to see this class last a long time. And we want to see you guys uh, involved for a long time as well. So whatever it takes. Thank you for coming on factory stock podcast giving us some insight into your program all right thank you joe thanks kevin kevin skinner with us here on factory stock podcast one of the cobra jet competitors the black hammer i love that and he let us know that there are several other racers out there that have got names for their cars as well the vigilante instant action all you racers out there, if you're listening, you got to have it on your car. Otherwise, who cares? And no offense. Like, we all care. We want to see the name of your car. Get some vinyl, baby. Get a little vinyl. Get it on there so that the track announcer can see it, make a big deal, and make you and your car famous. That's just a little behind the scenes for me because I love cars that have names. The Black Hammer. He's laughing at it. I love it. I love it. I think it is great. Now, we got more to come. We got Scott Libisher going to be on the show for you Copo Camaro fans. Uh, Ask his opinion about the season so far, where his program is at. That is all coming up. But before we get into that, we got to check in with SamTech.edu's Brian Massengill to preview the race. Richmond, baby. Brian, are you out there? Are you ready? I am ready. I am ready. We are uh, making moves to get out there. Um, In the next day or two, I'm going to be uh, on the road with the admissions department, as always. Uh, we have a booth out at the showdown races, and um, one of the uh, questions that we get the most is, what time do these cars run? 
and uh, and so there's a lot of great fan feedback and, and excitement about the class as always at every racetrack, and, and we're really excited to get out to Richmond and uh, see what we can do on that track. Oh yes, and uh, while we're talking about this, while out in Charlotte, I was uh, hanging out for a few minutes in the factory stock showdown pits and was speaking with the Stanfield Racing Engines team, and they have two Samtech.edu graduates working on their team. So a perfect example. I actually recorded some stuff with them that has yet to make it to the podcast uh, just yet, but will at some point before the season is over. But they gave total credit for their ability to, you know, integrate themselves into a team, right, for having the mindset to understand what is wanted on a race team by being at samtech.edu. I thought that was a pretty cool tip of the cap to the school. No, it is, and, and you know that's you kind of go through the pits on the on the pro side also, and you you can run into our graduates, um, you know, fighting for championships pretty much on in, in every pro team. It uh, we're very fortunate to have a great reputation, and uh, we have a bunch of great students that come out of the program that uh, come into the program as uh, great people already. But uh, we're always happy to see them out there and. You know, Colin and Connor over there at Stanfield, and then Travis over with Barton. You know, we've we've got a couple other students that are looking to maybe get into involved in this class. You know, uh, like I said, they're they're all over the place in terms of and uh, uh, the pro side of things. But uh, but there's some sportsman racers over with us, or graduates working on these sportsman teams also. And it's uh, it's awesome to you know have these guys at the track and and be able to talk to them about what's going on with their programs and how everything's going and that's the whole point for all you kids out there uh if you want to do this this is why sam tech is sponsoring this category because they want to get the attention of young people who are interested in cool cars and want to be involved in racing go to a school get a good education in case you did not know how the whole system worked out and colin and connor i believe they have a great nickname which combines them like brangelina or uh you know uh what is it uh j-rod which is uh Right? It's like the two <laughs> together, Connellan, something like that. That's it. That's it. That's it. <laughs> Great. So here we are. Um, it feels like the season has been going on for a long time, but it, it really hasn't. We are just going into now the third race. We've got a couple of Skillmans at the top of the points. Drew leading the way, 181. Bill Skillman, 176. And then a bit of a drop-off to Stephen Bell, the first Copo Camaro in third, 127. Carl Tasca, 112 in fourth. Chris Holbrook, fifth, 109. Uh, Bo Butner shows that you can DNQ and rocket right up the point standings. So this thing has got a, a long way to go. That having all been said, we heard from Ned Walliser from NHRA at the start of the show. We talked about the most recent parity update. Um, thank goodness these things have uh, supercharger pulleys because it makes it pretty easy. NHRA has reduced the percentages on the Copo by 5.4 more percent and uh, on the Cobra Jet by 15 percent in an attempt to even the playing field, do you think we're going to see an even playing field this weekend? Uh, we're, I think we're getting closer to it. You know, every every uh, race we've had so far, there's been some sort of adjustment, and uh, right, wrong, or in uh, or indifferent, uh, whatever you feel about it. Um, we are getting a little closer. The, I mean, you, you saw what the Fords did uh, the first race and the mile an hour, and, and what Chuck did in the second race. Uh, you know, 180 miles an hour. That's that's a lot. Um, Obviously, Bo and, and Bill in the finals ran a great, great race on a on a real hot day, and still were able to throw up seven second numbers, and and that's that's what I want to see, and I know that that's what the fans want to see is seven seconds. So, my concern is is that you know some of these parity numbers uh, or parity adjustments rather might might hurt those seven second numbers, but it is all in the benefit of the racers and the teams to 
get everybody closer together. The tighter racing we can have, the better racing it is for the fans and, uh, and the drivers and the racers and the teams. The engine architecture is so different that it is a great challenge. I've referenced it a couple of times on the show uh, that, you know, it's it's challenging, but for a reason. And, you know, I don't want to say the Ford fans. I'll say it. Some of the Ford fans are really complaining about the parity adjustments. That having all been said, they have won the first two races and really dominated if anybody should be angry or annoyed, you'd think it would be the Chevrolet people who have yet to score any kind of a victory of any kind and yet have also been hit. So basically, I'm being a little critical of the people who are, um, you know, really flapping their arms about this when they are dominating. No, it's we, we saw it last year, too. You know, the Dodge fans um, uh, were were kind of up in arms about it, and, and they um, they were saying kind of the same things that the Fords are, just get back in there and uh, and get to work on your cars. Well, again, these are some of the best engine builders in the world in, on these Chevy teams. If, if there's any power to be had, um, they're pushing everything to the limit. Look at what happened to David Barton. Everything, every, he pushed it to the limit and uh, pushed out a head gasket. So they're not, not trying. They're not not in the in their shops and in busting their butts they're they're doing everything they can to catch up to these fords and it's it's a little different uh, uh animal like you said it, we've got a real easy way to uh to rein everything in and it is the pulley sizes and so we're we're getting closer and, and i say we the nhra is getting closer to getting this class very tight and, and we had an incredibly tight field last two races and, and i think it's just going to get a little bit tighter and a little bit tighter i mean that bump spot um there's so many so many racers within a tenth once once you get down into about six to uh, twenty. So um, we'll see what you know. The fans obviously they have their their opinions and they're uh, more than entitled to it. They've been watching Ford's race for decades, and and so they're finally seeing the Fords win some races out here, which they they didn't see last year. And um, and I get it, but we we got to get everything right and get everything fair. Well, absolutely. And I, I no way am I uh, trying to be in, in, insulting or disparaging towards the Ford fans. This is only a select group of people that I happen to see okay. on the Facebook. But what I'm saying is don't lack, don't act like it's only you. That's all. That's all, what right. I would say no, to the fans. No, don't act like it's only you. It's not only you. And I even got in on one of the threads. It's like, hey, guys, didn't they do the same stuff to the Camaros also? And the answer is, yes, they did. So and that, We saw it last year with the Dodges, too. I mean, it, it isn't. There isn't. They're not playing favorites. That's for sure. And they have everyone's the, best interest in mind. And that is exactly the point that uh, I think is important to keep right at the top. And so uh, I do agree, though, that cars being in the sevens is important. Uh, I also know that the racers are going to find a way, like whatever it is that is done, to carve it back as rapidly as possible. But once the summer months come around. Now, this particular track surface is known for being exceptionally smooth and exceptionally good. So, uh, you know, coming in off the NMCA race where Jeff Turk was able to pick up the win, um, what do you think we're going to see as more cars are kind of coming online? was Bo Butner, who DNQ'd at the Gator Nationals and said flat out, you know, we missed it, we weren't ready, but they were ready out there in Charlotte. Uh, Turk could be the guy who emerges out here at the third race as a guy who wasn't ready for the first couple races. Uh, this is, for all intents and purposes, his second race. 
It is. No, you know, his teammates, uh, uh, Tasca and, and Eakins have been out there. So he's, he's been getting data and he's been seeing what they've been able to do. And, and I know that he was a, a little disappointed in not being able to qualify, uh, at our last race. And, and, uh, you know, there's a lot of momentum, uh, going into, uh, Virginia for him coming off that win at the NMCA race, you know, uh, beating Bill Skillman, our last race winner. And, and so they're, that's a very, very strong team. Uh, you know, if Tasca doesn't red light in the semifinals against Stephen Bell, I think we're talking about uh, he, he, him making the the finals uh, at the Gators. And so it's it is there. It's still a lot open in the air uh, about what these cars can run, what they're going to run. I don't believe that the rules package at the NMCA had taken into uh, effect yet. So we'll see what what goes on this week. And it is a great track. So the the racers, you know, they they've been having to pedal it and they've been kind of spinning down track once they got away from uh some of the track prep but uh this is a great track that's why we're we're going to this event uh we we really wanted to make sure that we had uh you know a lot of fans and a lot of uh great track prep and in a track that the drivers can get down that's that's our biggest concerns right there is just being able to get these cars in front of some new spectators and get them down the track right now though it's a skillman show at the top drew and bill have both been on our winners shows and uh, both equally want a championship and are equally positioned for the most part to go get that championship the rest of the field uh, not that anyone wishes ill will on anyone but certainly wouldn't be upset if they both lost first round and uh, that's probably mission one for anybody that wants to win the championship. If you're not a skillman, got to take those guys out. Oh no, that's it. You know, you you uh, you start looking at it, and you know, with only eight races on the season, almost to the halfway point, we've got uh, we're going to start seeing some cars that are out of contention. Uh, Bo making the finals last race and, and getting into the uh, getting into the finals, you, you see how how many points he was able to accumulate, how quickly he was able to get back into the hunt. So um, this is kind of make or break for some of the teams that haven't qualified. And, and uh, you mentioned uh, Jeff Turk, and that this is this is one that he's going to look to take out Skillman just like he did at the NMCA race. Um, you know, you might start playing some of the games of, okay, well, let's go try to get them in the first round. Uh, it, We've talked to to Drew and, and Bill about getting on the other side of the ladder from one another so that they meet in the finals and, and all that kind of stuff. So we do have points for qualifying. So you've got to play both of those games. Do I want the points or do I want to be able have the chance to take out the points leader early on and and keep them from gaining more points on me? So okay. there's there's a lot of uh, sportsman games to be played still. Very very interesting. It is going to be a whole lot of fun. I am looking forward to it. The Virginia Nationals race three, and and you said it. We're coming up on halfway, just like that. We're coming up on halfway through this season. And I know it is expanded from last year, but I'm I'm hoping for a little bit more expansion. This this class is just too much fun. Brian, thank you for coming on Factory Stock Podcast. Any final thoughts before we head out to Virginia? No, I think we're going to we're going to have some fast race cars and uh, it's going to be tight racing. I think the track's going to be great and uh, you know, stay in your seats and and watch us go down go down the track and and uh have some side-by-side 7-second cars at uh 175 plus miles an hour. A whole lot of fun. Brian, thank you so much. We'll see you out there. Have a good one, Joe. Thanks, Brian. Brian Massengill with us here 
on the samtech.edu factory stock podcast. Very cool. We're going racing again, and we got a great opportunity to meet just another of our factory stock showdown competitors who is responsible for multiple cars out there in category. I am very excited to speak with Scott Libisher, who joins us now. Scott, welcome to factory stock podcast. How are you? Very good, Joe. Thanks for the invite. Are you ready for the Virginia Nationals? Here we go again. Uh, are we ready? It's uh, a couple days before the race. We've got to put one motor in, pick up a transmission in Detroit on the way to the race, install that when we get there, and we will be ready. <laughs> there, Well, exactly. There it is. And, and uh, <laughs> right, piece of cake. Right, No big deal. It's just uh, easy stuff. But you guys had some challenges uh, since the last race as well, from what I understand. You guys are based in the Chicago area. Tell the audience out there you had like a mini uh, side-of-the-road thrash story. Yeah, we uh, sent my uh, son and son-in-law out to uh, Lenny and Danny out to Ray Barton Racing Engines, and they had an axle failure on the way back, so we had to leave a car and a trailer with a new motor in it an hour outside of Pittsburgh. But small town, but we found some nice people there, and we went back and uh, manufacturer warrantied the axle problem, and we had to go pick that up last weekend. You know, we're just trying to race, but these other things keep creeping up, it seems, this year. Yeah, what gives, right? That people uh, people don't realize that just getting to the track is a great challenge. It's a miracle into itself. It is, and they're trying to keep the race cars competitive and going rounds, and then you've got issues with your equipment and coaches and plumbing problems and everything else you got to fix while you're there. <laughs> exactly. So for the audience out there, let's uh, get everybody up to speed. You guys are running the Copo Camaros, and you've got one that you drive. Your son, Leonard, drives another, and your son-in-law, Dan Condon, drives another. So, you know, you bring pretty much three cars to attempt to qualify for each of these Samtech Factory Stock Showdown races. That is correct. That's a fleet. We, uh, you got a fleet it of cars. Is. And uh, now when we do something, we go all in. We all work together in, uh, during the week, and uh, we race together on the weekends. We've been doing this. Um, it's our third year, you know, being competitive and uh, trying to win and putting everything we've got into it. And we've had some uh, cylinder head issues this year. A lot of the Chevy guys have been having them, and we've got some solutions coming, and we're getting them to hold up now for the race. And so we actually, in Charlotte, we just started, you know, making the turn and starting to work on our tune and some other stuff on these cars. And we're pretty confident we're going to have a good outing in Richmond. It looks better than it has earlier in the year. So we finally turn in the corner here and we're excited well it is interesting to watch the way this whole thing evolves and uh, earlier in the show we had ned Walliser from nhra vp of competition lay out his uh, you know thoughts about the class and why they've been so aggressive with the rules uh, changes and parity adjustments and all as a copo camaro team you know, the camaros uh, as a as a make have yet to win a race uh, but you guys are having to adjust to new rules each week in the name of parity, which uh, I understand why. But I'd like to know your opinion. You know, what do you think about the way the, the class is going, has gone, uh, and will go for the remainder of the season? Um, I agree with the NHRA and the parity ad- adjustments. It's a growing pain. You know, a couple years ago, Chevy's, uh, David Barton, were dominant. Last year, it was uh, the Dodge guys and girls. This year's the Fords, and just a lot of changes last season with uh, the Chevy and Fords, and it's it's just growing pains, and you know, and I, and I understand it, and 
I believe most people do. And uh, we'll see this weekend uh, if they're getting close on it. If not, they're going to keep trying. Well, right. And that's uh, and that's it. They, they want to bring these things together. And they are vastly different in just the architecture of the engines and uh, various factors, you know, the actual size and the superchargers and all. I think they're actually doing a pretty good job uh, so far. Um, you mentioned David Barton does your power. And uh, he had that cylinder head problem down there at Gainesville. But he also told us here on Factory Stock Podcast that he thinks that the reduction in boost from the rules change may actually help alleviate the problem. And we're we're starting to see that in some of our, uh, you know, racing and testing that we're getting a little bit more durability out of our cylinder head gaskets and our cylinder heads. And I think the class as a whole is going to be more comfortable, you know, in the seven nineties and low eights, you know, seven, some seven ninety runs with good air, get in the, you know, around the eight O's and the durability and the speed on these nine inch tires, you know, some of these Chuck Watson, 180 miles per hour, you know, it's a lot of weight to be stopping and a lot of stuff can happen on that top end. So a little slower, I think will be better for everybody and more durability for the parts. Well, good news. Good news. Now, tell us a little bit how you got to this point. You mentioned when you do something, you go all in. You're clearly going all in. You do have a background in stock and super stock, and you won this similar category uh, championship in NMCA a couple of years ago. But your participation in drag racing in general, where did that come from? You know, how early did you get started? How long have you been like a class racer type? And uh, and where did you get the the bug and the thrill to go factory stock showdown racing? Um, the first part came when I turned sixteen, and I uh, you know my first car was a Camaro, which I had about six months before my birthday, and uh, always wanting to go faster. You know, saving up some money to buy roller rockers, and then we went to a tunnel ram, and then went to a big block, and used to go out to US thirty drag strip in Maryville, Indiana, in the late seventies. And uh, we would bracket race out there and some other racing that, you know, on on late night streets. And uh, so we did that. I did that for probably about seven or eight years, got married, started having kids, went to work and uh, took some time off, got back into it in 2014 and uh, hit the ground running here. We're just, uh, the whole industry changed in the 30 years I took off. (laughs) It's just... uh, no more carburetors, no more points. So it's a little bit of a learning curve, but we're on the fast track, and we're picking it up quick. I've got uh, my son-in-law, Dan Condon, is uh, great great with the computer, and uh, Lenny is is getting there. Alex Anderson is also helping quite a bit, and David coaching him. Points. So what, it's, what, uh, is, uh, what is that points that you speak of? Oh, yeah, the, the dual point distributor. Yeah, no, yeah my, my, my son and son-in-law don't know what I'm talking about when I say that. <laughs> They're looking for a PowerPoint presentation. Exactly. No, just, um, just kidding, but it's true. The industry's true. neat. And, and uh, the, way it, the way the class is going, right, it's like the factory cars. You're one of the Chevy teams. Have You, you said your first car was a Camaro, and so that's got to be kind of cool that you are racing at a very high level in a heads-up category in a Camaro that can be purchased by anybody. Absolutely. I talked to a lot of people at the racetracks about this stuff, and um, one of my other sponsors are uh, Copal Parts Direct, the 
you know, in uh, Turnkey Automotive, which manufacture the Copos, and they helped me out quite a bit. And you know, I've sent some uh, fans to turn them into customers and racers over the years. It's uh, actually a way to be pretty competitive, you know, especially with their naturally aspirated cars, right? You know, right off the showroom floor, the the Copo showroom floor, and uh, just go drag racing. Well, exactly, and uh, I think it is also helping maybe a younger generation get interested because they can relate to the cars because it's what's it's what's happening now. Correct, and uh, you know that they're a little pricey, but if you take out the time to build a car yourself, you know, in the mid nine second range, that's you know NHRA certifiable. It's going to cost you close to the same by the time you're done with everything, and plus a year or two to get it done. So the cars, I believe, I see they seem affordable, you know, to me, to be able to, you know, hit the racetrack running, basically with them. Well, racing has never been, uh, you know, for every single person. It does cost a, a fair amount of money, and you have to have the time to do it, and you have to have the disposable uh, funds, whatever we want to call that, right, to go out. There are people who have boats. There's people who have multiple ATVs. They're out there traveling the world. There are a lot of people who do things for uh, their own fun and entertainment. You guys choose, and, and drag racers choose to go cause themselves a whole bunch of problems and challenges to overcome. Correct, and it's a great group of people. You know, I, I do race in NMCA and NHRA, and a lot of people do both. And we're, you know, we're together quite a bit. You know, during racing season, and everybody has the same passion. We work together. You know, uh, share parts when necessary. You know, and we figure out who's bringing a transmission jack or the engine hoist, and uh, so everybody doesn't have to bring theirs. And but it's it's a group effort a lot of times, and everybody's there for the same reason, like you said, Joe. You know, it's a passion. None of us are doing it for the money, and uh, it's just uh, it's it's competitive, and you get instant results when you work hard. Well, exactly. And so uh, let, let's talk about driving the car. You mentioned the speeds. The Chuck Watson 180 is crazy. Uh, let's call it, you know, 175, 176, 9-inch wide tire, 3,600 pounds for the most part. Um, you know, what's it feel like when you're getting down through there and you're you're really on a good run? Um. It's exhilarating, and it's but it goes by pretty quick now. You know, we started in the mid eights, you know, three or four years ago with these cars. We kind of crept up on it, so it's not as big a shock because you know we went down, you know, down the time time frames, and uh, but a lot of stuff happens at the top end there, and it's a, you got your hands full, um, just to make sure you you keeping your same rhythm and you stay concentrated for the you know the nine or 10 seconds it takes to do your burnout stage and run, you know, make sure you do the same procedure at the finish line. If not, uh, stuff happens bad fast. No, I can imagine. Now you're sitting 10th in the points. You got 83 points. Uh, Drew is the leader with 181. So uh, a race win or something similar would be uh, would vault you up there in the points. We're only a couple of races into this season. It is a shortened season. We expanded for this year, but short compared to others. No dropping of races, which I love um, because it pretty much locks everybody in. You got to show up to uh, all of them if you want to compete. What are your goals for the season coming in? You know, goals, realistic goals. How do you break that out uh, for 2019? We're working hard. We're working with what we have. Um, we're catching up with the Fords even before this pulley change. The Ray Barton racing engine team, you know, we were probably about six or seven hundredths behind the Fords. So 
with this parity adjustment coming up, I think we're going to be right with them. It was just same as last season. It's it's hard to overcome a t you know a tenth of a second spread. You know you can try it on the tree, you can try it on the tune and get aggressive. But I think that this race here is going to be pretty competitive, and you may see a non-Ford in the winner circle. And uh, that's what we're hoping for. We're going to bring uh, – we've got one car down still from some problems, so we're going to have two chances to get in there, and uh, we're going to do our best to do it. Oh, very, very cool. All right, important stuff. Last name, the correct-as-you-want pronunciation for all your fans out there. I have heard – your name pronounced multiple different ways: Leibusher, Liebusher, Liebusher. Uh Give me, <laughs> give me the official, <laughs> the official statement and pronunciation of your last name. It is Liebusher. Liebusher, exactly you, as it's You had spelled. it correct. You had it correct when you called. <laughs> there you go. Hear that, everybody? I had it correct, and I feel like I've had it correct, and I have been corrected many times. And so we now nope. let it be written. It is Liebusher officially. What about the car? Does the car have a name? You know, Kevin Skinner was on a little bit earlier, and we accidentally got into the territory that a lot of people name their cars but don't write it on their cars. Like, for instance, his car you know, is called the Black Hammer. And it was like, do you have that written on your car? And he's like, no. And it's like, well, how am I supposed to know about it? And then he rattled off a list of five other guys that have names for their cars. Do you have a name for your car? As of this time, no. We've been just trying to get to the starting line and uh, <laughs> we haven't really got that far in our plans. So, <laughs> but, uh, no, we're, no, we haven't really come up with anything. We're not against it when we get to, when we have enough time to sit around and not worry about other things. But, uh, I, I do like some of the names out there that some of the people are going by and it does make the cars unique in a small class like ours too. Well, exactly. And where do you see this class going? You're obviously dived in, with, uh, you know, however we want to say it, head first, both feet, whatever you want to say, you're in this thing now. You're invested. You're seeing the class take off right around you, and you want to be involved. People have said, you know, baby pro stock, whatever you want to say. Um, you know, what do you think is going to happen with this? You know, it's hard to say. I do like it's the sportsman class, and these eight races are a lot of us still work full time, and we've, we made all the races last year and the year before. Depending on how much they expand the schedule, you know, I kind of like it where it's at now. If they had one more race next year, you know, if they start ramping it up a lot more races, I think it's going to have to, you know, turn more towards a pro category, you know, because of the cost and the expenses where with the traveling and the time involved. So it's, I think it's kind of going to be dictated by the NHRA and what they do and who can participate if it gets to a level where financially it's just not affordable. And that's the problem. A lot, a lot of people have mentioned to me, and I was uh, we were speaking with Ned Walliser at the start of the show, and he said that they are aware and want to prevent it from becoming some sort of crazy, uh, you know, extreme budget category where uh, participation is limited to a very select group of people. And I agree, and I, and I believe that's not NHRA's intentions at this point in time. So it's a balancing act, and so far it's going along pretty well, I believe. And uh, they listen to us, and uh, so right now we're living, you know, for this 2019 season, we'll see what next year brings, but we're planning on hanging around unless it changes drastically. We're going to be doing this at least for another three or four years. 
Very cool. Scott, I want to thank you for coming on Factory Stock Podcast, giving us some insight into your team. I know that you guys are you know, heavily invested. You're at all the events. You're out there. Uh, you know, doing your best. Again, the challenges uh, from just getting to the racetrack to qualifying in a field of 30 cars, very tough stuff, but you're also doing it with your family, which is a, a great thing. Uh, we always say the family that races together stays together. You guys are a perfect example. Good luck this weekend at the Virginia Nationals and uh, sitting in the top 10 in points. I hope you can climb up and, uh, you know, go as high as you possibly can. We're going to work on it, Joe. That's our goal. And I give my wife, uh, Kim, a big shout out. She usually comes with us to every race and keeps us fed and uh, keeps everybody's spirits high. Excellent. That's a very smart move by you, especially right after Mother's Day. Scott, thank you so much for coming on Factory Stock Podcast. Good luck this weekend. All right, Joe. Thanks a lot. Scott Libisher rounding out a great guest list on this edition of Factory Stock Podcast, pre-Virginia Nationals. And if you have yet to catch up on all of our episodes, this is like episode seven. If you're new to the class, if you want to get to know what's going on and who these people are and why they're doing it, go to Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast catcher you happen to use, Podcast Addict or others for you Android people, type in Factory Stock Podcast. You can also get the show on competitionplus.com and others. Type in Factory Stock Podcast and subscribe. We're also on SoundCloud for you Android people if you want to be able to share it. And check out the show, Factory Stock Podcast, and you'll never miss a show. Big thanks to Ned Walliser, Kevin Skinner, Scott Libisher, of course, Brian Massengill for coming on pre-event number three. It has been great. It has been interesting. Of course, all the rules changes and complaining and whining and screaming and also confidence and excitement out of so many different people. The way I'm looking at it, I can't wait for Q1. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. Thank you so much for checking it out. Remember, it's the folks at samtech.edu making it happen behind the scenes. So if you want to get your education started at full speed, obviously, Go to their website, check them out, or go see them at the track. My name is Joe Costello. I am your podcast host. If you like this podcast and have never heard WFO Radio, you got to check that out as well. Just type in WFO Radio Podcast and check out NHRA Nitro or Ignition. There's a lot more entertainment there because, after all, that's what it is. It's entertainment. We love these cars. We want them to go fast. We love the people behind them. We want to get to know them. That is the point of any of these shows. We hope to see you at the races, whether it be Virginia or down the road. But be sure to subscribe. Factory Stock Podcast, WFO Radio, and check out samtech.edu. Once again, big thanks to Ned Walliser, Kevin Skinner, Scott Libisher, and Brian Massengill for coming on Factory Stock Podcast. We'll see you next time. Start your education at full speed with the School of Automotive Machinists and Technology. Accelerate your career as a high-performance engine builder with classroom instruction and practical hands-on experience in the lab, on the dyno, and at the track. In addition to the Blockhead and CNC programs, Sam now offers motorsport EFI tuning and an Associates of Applied Science degree. And Sam is a military-friendly school, approved to train veterans and other eligible persons under the GI Bill. Start your education at full speed. Go to samtech.edu today.